to what is my podcast about. This is a part. This is a podcast, not a podcast, where we sit down fortnightly and discuss a topic to figure out what we're going to make a podcast about. I am your host, Peter Akerley. I'm joined as always by my faithful friends, Matthew Grace, hello, and Keith Ramsey. I think you might be putting this a little too loud with faithful friends. Something you want to tell me about? Some dark betrayal coming down the pipe that I just don't know about yet? Oh, we'll find out, won't we? Oh, fair enough. How you guys doing? What's oh. going on in the world? Oh, not much. Not much at all. Like, literally. <laughs> Am I the only person that follows things now? Because I have things to talk about. Uh, Sounds like it. me and Matt have clearly just been lost in Weebland and have stopped paying attention to the real world. Pretty much. Uh, so, essentially, uh, we don't have much on it, but I thought it was still worth mentioning. The Indiana Jones is getting a game made by Bethesda. That's exciting. Really? Yep, they released a teaser trailer a while ago. Uh, we don't got many details. We're just going across, like, a desk. And there was, like, a soft, like, you know, horn sound, like, some horn music in the background. Like, oh, it's a peaceful, like, you know, study desk. And it had, like, relics and stuff from his adventures. And then it gets to a hat, and then the Indiana Jones theme kicks in. He picks it up, and there's a whip underneath. And then it goes into the full theme, and it just says, like, Indiana Jones Bethesda. Well, it was so just under a year ago that we got the first, like, video game movie that turned out pretty well, so... Hopefully we. this is a sign that we're going to get a pretty good movie video game. Are you saying Spider-Man 2 wasn't a good video game? Uh, Spider-Man 2 was the best video game. I refuse to acknowledge it as a movie video <laughs> game. What if what we're actually getting is Elder Scrolls 6, Crusade of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Skyrim Indiana Jones expansion. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be honest, we're not getting Elder Scrolls 6. We're getting D- more DLC for Skyrim. Ah, makes more sense. Uh, also, on the 24th, uh, 21st there, uh, we got uh, kind of like a showcase for Resident Evil 8 that they're also talking about some of the uh, things to celebrate the 35th anniversary of Resident Evil, I believe. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, so we got gameplay for Resident Evil 8 Village, finally. I uh, saw what some of the combat looks like. The internet is loving 8-foot tall uh, vampire mom. mom. Yep. You had to be there to see it, man. Okay. So, uh... As you know, the game's called Village, and you know how they worked the V-I-I for 8 into the word Village? Oh, yep. Um, well, this is slightly related. Uh, there's an 8-foot-tall vampire mom. You think she's 8-foot-tall because it's Resident Evil 8? Probably. Probably. Uh, if they could have went for 9, I bet they would have went for 9. <laughs> uh, who is extremely attractive, according to most people on the internet. Uh, to the point where some of them have reworked the title to, instead of being Villager with V-I-I hidden in the word Villager, they've reworked it to be MILF with V-I-I hidden <laughs> uh, in MILF. I think they may have seen some <laughs> images of this vampire. Yeah, uh, the internet fucking loves this woman, apparently. Uh, they didn't just announce this and saw the gameplay as well, but we also saw that they announced that there's kind of like, they're framing it as a celebration game, but really it's just kind of like an arena shooter uh, it's called Reverse, R-E-verse, and it allows you to play just characters, villains, and all that from all across Resident Evil, and just kind of beat the shit out of each other. So in the trailer, it's like uh, Resident Evil 7, Chris, with uh, R-E-2, uh, Leon, shooting at each other while someone is nemesis is running around with a rocket launcher, and Jack Baker, the villain of Resident Evil 7, just kind of double chainsawing through a hallway. Yeah, of course. That sounds like a grand old time. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of, uh, what was it, the Umbrella Corpse game? Yes. Just, it, it seems it's slower, if that's a way to explain it. Yeah, a little less fast-paced. Uh, I'll accept that. Well, you, in Resident Evil Corpse, uh, Umbrella Corpse, you pretty much move like a quake shooter. 
But yeah, it's a lot of just running around shooting. What else is going on in the world, Keith? Apparently you're the only one who keeps up to date on this shit. Uh, so, uh, I don't know if you guys have been watching it, but WandaVision started. I am specifically waiting until most of the season's out because I have enough shit I'm waiting week to week for right now that I just can't add that to my list of stuff I'm waiting week that to week for. fair enough. I can share that sentiment. That's fair. And so far, they like without spoiling anything, it's been very true to the fact that each episode is a different era of television. So you start with the 50s, episode 2 was the 60s, and episode 3, which just came out, was in the 70s. And it does all the tropes. It, not just, you know, the jokes and, like, the acting, but also, like, the camera techniques and everything. And even how they use their powers are framed as if it was a show done in that era. That's really nice. I actually really like that idea. Yeah, so just for an example, uh, there was a scene where she's using her powers, and a red, like, mist just clearly comes out of the floor around something. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, when... Uh, visions like you know flying or something like that you'll see a pulley or something oh my god uh, that's super cool or they're clearly on the back of a green screen like just like you know standing there doing like the whole arm out thing yeah it's that type of stuff like they're using everything from that era not just the film and the cool thing is that there is a modern day aspect to it obviously that's kind of hinting at things going and the aspect ratio of the episode actually changes whenever that happens too okay that's super fun. Yeah, that sounds yeah. interesting. And I now, I will say the first two episodes don't really get into the plot. It's kind of introducing the idea. That's why they got released together. Yeah. And then episode three was definitely where, like, the plot stuff really started shooting up. Duh. How many episodes are we expecting for that? Uh, it was eight or nine, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I'll probably start watching once, like, the sixth episode is out, because I can wait a little bit for the last one's fun. Yeah, and this, uh, I believe, is going directly into Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. So we might not have a conclusion to WandaVision in effect. There might be like a big revelation and a big payoff, but I don't think it's going to conclude the story in the way we think until... So will Doctor they Strange. go straight into airing the episodes for that one? Uh, so, no, Doctor Strange is the next Doctor Strange oh, right, movie. movie, movie. Uh, and that's not going to get released right away, because I believe the movie that's going to be coming around around that time is going to be either Black Widow or Eternals. I'd have to double-check the record, but I, think I know it's, it's one Widow. of those two movies coming out at that time. And then right after, we get uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah. This does kind of fit with what we've been predicting all along, where the shows seem to each be tied to a movie in such a way that they want to keep the release of the show uh, related to the movie. Like, WandaVision seems super related to... Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, Captain Falcon, and Winter Soldier seem super related to the new Black Widow movie. So it does definitely seem like they're using these Disney Plus movies to kind of... Or not movies. Disney Plus TV shows to set up for the upcoming movie releases. Uh, and I guess it also in kind of Marvel side of things, uh, just to stick in that news realm, uh, Charlie Cox has been spotted on the set of Spider-Man 3. Ooh. Now, he was only there for a short time, so it's definitely just only a cameo aspect of it. Yeah. But this has people wondering, is he going to be there as Matt Murdock? Does this mean that the Netflix characters are going to come over kind of like in a pseudo? The, what happened in the Netflix series is kind of true, but the characters are there kind of in the same way when they reboot a comic, for example. Everything that happened in the previous iteration is still kind of true, yeah. but not exactly. Yeah, I think I'd be all right with that because I really actually enjoyed Charlie Cox's interpretation of Matt Murdock. Well, every, really everyone from the Daredevil, like, Netflix series, I've really liked the yeah. casting. So, you know, Foggy... Some of the... D'Onofrio as Kingpin is one oh, of the best. Oh, he's by far the best Kingpin I've ever seen an iteration of. Um, so, I would really like it. Especially because I do feel like 
I don't remember the specific Star Trek, but I feel like one of the multiple times that Peter Parker's identity has been revealed, Matt Murdock was there to defend him in uh, a legal case. So I feel like it makes sense for him to be related to the upcoming. Well, I, I believe in the comics too, it was him and She-Hulk that kind of became like lawyers for superpowered individuals. Yeah. Uh, so I'd definitely be intrigued to see him in there as Matt Murdock. Yeah, and then with the Netflix contract as well, there was a clause that for a certain amount of years after the show's finished, they couldn't use them themselves. And Daredevil has just crossed that threshold where it can be used by Marvel now. So yeah. that's why a lot of people are thinking where it aims up so well, they might be bringing Charlie Cox over because he had a, like a lot of fan support in the role. And he's already said that he would love to come back if he had the opportunity. Yeah. But he also, in that same interview, said, but you don't contact Disney, they contact you. Yeah. But to be fair, having an interview where you say those words is as close to contacting Disney as you can get. Disney, you hear me? I'm calling you out. Yeah. Not really saying it, but you know what I mean. And really, the Netflix one, I think, did really well for, like, the character casting. I think the one that people really only had an issue was, was Iron Fist. Yeah, I think, unfortunately, I think Iron Fist was the Achilles heel of the whole thing, because the way they set them up, up, especially with Defenders, you kind of needed all four to be successful to justify continuing making all four. Uh, and I feel like Iron Fist just kind of kind of tripped everything else and yeah. kind of fucked over the rest of those plans. Because, yeah, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and Daredevil were all fucking phenomenal. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I also didn't mind Danny Rand's cast or anything like oh, that. Oh, no, it's, it's just the show was... It seemed not sure what to do with it. Yeah, it wasn't sure how to use Iron Fist. You can't just tease us with a dragon like that for the whole season. Yeah, and then just be like, no, fuck it, no dragon. That seems like a big letdown. Yeah, he oh. got his powers from punching a dragon in there. And Bernthal oh. as Punisher oh. was also really good, and oh. he's also stated that he would love to continue. Oh, fucking yes, John Bernthal as the Punisher was fucking phenomenal. That whole, especially like yes, his season as the Punisher in the Punisher show was great, but even his appearances in Daredevil season two were also like the best buildup of a character to get a spinoff of all time. Yeah. So yeah, I hope this means that we could possibly see the Netflix things coming over. If our speculation on what Phase 4 is trying to do is correct, it could open up the possibility that everything we've seen Marvel so far has been canon in the multiverse, but not within yeah. the main one we're following. Yeah, it's entirely possible that they're just going to set up the, the Netflix series were in a separate universe of the multiverse. Yeah, which allows them to bring over some characters from it saying, well, these are the versions of that in this universe and not yeah. so much the Netflix one. Hmm. Yeah, this is Matt Murdock from Earth 2. Just <laughs> multiverse Earth 2, this is the Matt Murdock. He looks very similar to the one from the Netflix series, but it's a completely different character, trust me. Uh, makes, yeah. Makes sense, as much as multiverse can. As long as they also bring over Vincent D'Onofrio, because as you said, he is fucking phenomenal. <laughs> D'Onofrio. 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 I really enjoyed his uh, playing of Fisk. Yeah. So, anything else? No, that was kind of the big things I wanted to talk about. Cool. In that case, shall we get into it? Shall we talk about what I decided we're talking about today? Yes. I, I so. birthday boy topic. believe I made my hint not quite as clear as Keith's hint, but clear enough that hopefully everyone figured it out this time and we're not talking about Jesus again. So you want, you're buying land in the UK, that's what I got. Because yeah. I searched it online and it just kept putting up property rentals and purchasing in the UK. Oh, do we have to call you Lord now? I mean, I do own land in the UK, so yes, you do. <laughs> Damn. Uh, I don't think that means you're a lord in the UK. <laughs> technically, I think uh, owning land, you are entitled to the lordship title. Whatever. doesn't fucking matter. Uh, at all, what does matter 
is that while looking up buying land in the UK, I stumbled across an anime series that we're actually <laughs> going to talk about. Uh, and the anime series is called Promised Neverland. Ooh. Sounds, so, sounds pleasant. No. <laughs> right off the bat, I'm going to correct you, man. It's not. <laughs> I'm going to fit up and say, like, I did kind of find the anime, and I read the stuff about it. But even that, I don't, like... The Im- like, if you saw the image on Instagram, I'm currently looking at a chessboard with a giant beast on top of it, and I have no idea where this conversation is going. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. The image was a little bit hobbled together, but we're going to stick with it, and we're going to get through this. Yes. Uh, so, The Promised Neverland is a anime series uh, entirely about a orphanage where a couple of small children grow up. Couple of small children. Like that? thirty-seven or thirty-eight uh, of them. Thirty-eight at the start of the series. Okay, so far what I know. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and it perfectly normal orphanage. Nothing strange ever happens. All the kids are super happy and friendly. Everything seems pleasant, but there seems to be some sort of underlying uneasiness. That we as a viewer get. I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't feel any. All the at kids all. are tattooed with freaking numbers on their necks. Yeah, so what? Clearly they were saved from the Holocaust or something like that. Um, The important uh, details that we get early on is that uh, each of these children will end up being adopted sometime between the age of 6 and the age of 12. No kid has ever stayed there past 12, and no kid has ever been adopted before they reached the age of 6. We also find out that they do daily tests, which is just exhausting. Rather than actually, like teaching them shit in, like, lessons. They just do tests on a daily basis, uh, which get increasingly harder. Uh, for instance, by the time you're 11, you're doing tests where you have 10 seconds to answer each question, and the questions are all weird fucking IQ test type question shit. Um, so I'm just gonna call it right here. There's two ways I see this going. It's either we're going into a full-on The Island scenario, or we're going into a Maze Runner scenario. A little bit of both. It's been a while since I watched The Island, so I don't remember the exact twist of yeah, that I've one. never seen The Island. I have seen Maze Runner movie, so I can see the connection there. So The Island uh, was essentially it was clones of people that were being harvested for organs. A little and bit. two of them escaped. It's a little bit of an island that's situation. Kind a of little plot, bit of a maze runner. That's kind of the plot of a book I read for English in university, where a bunch of orphans were just clones of people that were being raised for organ donations. Just like Clone High. Yeah, of course. Sure. <laughs> Clone High. Great show. Uh, so, uh, another thing we learned out is that today is the day of the adoption for one of the children in the household. So, the household's going to go from 38 kids down to 37, uh, and little Connie's going to get adopted uh, away. Connie being like a six-year-old in the household. Yes. Uh, we also meet, I suppose I should have already at this point introduced the three main characters, uh, which is Emma, Norman, and Ray. They're the three smartest students in the orphanage. Uh, they're specifically called out for getting perfect scores on their ridiculous daily tests. Uh, and they're and, all 11 at this point? Yes, they're all 11. And so they all know that they're going to get adopted soon, and they're going to go off and do great things in the real world. That's what's going to happen. I don't know why I specified the real world. They're already in the real world. They're just going to continue being in the real world, doing great things. There's nothing sinister going on, Matthew. I don't know why you brought that up. <laughs> thing is, Connie has a little special rabbit that she keeps around. They're a little plushy uh, at all times. And that's not significant to the plot in any significant way or whatsoever. Uh, so Connie goes off to get adopted at the end of the first episode. 
And Norman and Emma realize that she left her little bunny stuffy behind. Like, oh, this is terrible news. We gotta go deliver her bunny to her so she still has it at her new household because she loves her bunny. Uh, Ray kind of... Because that's just down the street, I guess. Ray kind of tells them that the gate's still open and they probably have time before she gets away. Uh, yeah, the light's still on at the leaves. gate. The, uh, Isabella, who's the mom of the orphanage, the has yet to return. Yeah, the caretaker, but they keep referring to her as mom. Um... So yeah, Isabel hasn't returned, and the light's still on at the gate house, so clearly there's still time for them to deliver the bunny if they hurry and run real quick. And It's already been shown while playing tag earlier this episode that they're both fairly athletic kids and can easily run down there as quickly as they need to. So they do a quick little sprint down to the gate house where Connie's getting picked up. Because as we learned earlier in the episode, aside from their testing and the older kids having day-to-day kitchen duties... Um, they're allowed to enjoy their time however they want. So a lot of the time, they just play tag. Yeah, a tag seems to be the main... It seems to be testing, then kitchen duties, then tag is the way most days break down. Which is fun, I guess. Very relaxing, fun-filled life. Nothing T- sinister going nothing on nothing relaxing about tag. Especially if you watch that first tag montage, a lot of the kids get real frustrated about how good Norman is at tag. It's not even that he's quick and can catch kids, it's that he knows exactly what every kid is thinking in the household, and thus can easily predict all of their moves. (laughs) That's how they present being good at tag. Tag is all about strategy, not athleticism. And they present Emma as being the most athletic, being one of the hardest kids for Norman to catch, and then Ray being the best strategy being the other uh, kid. But not the least I thought, I thought Norman was the best yeah. at strategy, and that's why he was good at tech. Norman is the best at intellect and thinking about what other people are planning. Yeah, Norman's I the best at reading other people. I think all as they're smart. Yeah, that's essentially how they do it, but they try and have... Uh, Emma's the most athletic, Norman's the one who's best at reading other people, and Ray is the best at just pure strategy, is the way they try and present the differences between... Three smart kids. Yes. Okay, so and Dex, Emma's, intelligence, and charisma. Yes. Yeah, Emma's very headstrong and straightforward. Yeah. Uh, so they decide to go down to the gatehouse. Uh, when, surprise, Matt wasn't wrong. It's been sinister all along. Yeah, all they find is just this empty brick building with an old rusty truck. But in the back of the truck, where they decide to hide the bunny so that Emma can find it when she gets out of the truck, obviously... They find, dun-dun-dun, Emma's corpse. Connie. Emma's Connie. And oh, Connie's say, they kill off the main character pretty quickly. Connie's corpse. Connie's corpse. Connie's corpse. Not Emma's. Emma's still alive at this point, and also for the rest of the series. I promise. I don't know if I trust that. <laughs> so, they get a little bit flabbergasted uh, when they hear noise from around the corner, so they decide to hide under the truck and figure out what's going on. And it turns out there's monsters in there. Except it's not monsters, it's demons. They decide it's demons. It just looks like fucking weird, creepy face mask monsters. But sure, it's demons. Um, so, both Norman and Emma are a little bit freaked out at this point. Uh, just as the demons go to check under the truck where they're hiding, they sneak out and run back to the base. But they unfortunately leave Connie's bunny underneath the truck. And Isabel was with the demons. Also, oh, yeah, Isabel, the mom, clearly is on Team Demon. And also, we get a little bit where the demons talk about how they wish they could eat Connie, because they like eating humans. So this leads to the realization that the orphanage is not actually an orphanage. It's a farm where children are raised to be fed to demons. Yeah, but um, I thought they did meet the kid. 
They don't eat that kid because this kid and all the kids from this household in particular are the very, like, prime meat and the fucking dock laborers are not allowed to eat the prime meat. Yes. They have to eat the shitty cheap meat that comes from yeah. other orphanages. We learn a little bit later that this is one of a couple different farms and this one produces the highest quality pro- yeah. produce. It, at this specific time, all we hear is that the two laborer demons complain about the fact that they could never afford to eat this kind of merchandise. Yeah. <clears throat> so yes, uh, Isabella finds the toy and determines that someone knew knows about this, but she doesn't know exactly for sure who, but she has her sus- suspicions. <laughs> definitely not the three smartest kids. They're definitely not yeah. the ones who would have figured this out. Nope. Her suspicions um, are immediately turned towards the smartest and oldest of the kids. <laughs> yeah. uh, so Norman and Emma then discuss what they have discovered and come to the conclusion that they need to escape. Well, Norman comes to the conclusion they need to escape. Emma, this is where we start to get the first, like, glimpse into her personality herself. Her concern is not for her escaping. Her concern is more so for making sure her 37 remaining siblings get to escape as well. So it's less so whether or not she escapes. It's more so every other one of the children in the firm has to escape. And Norman doesn't really like that because that reduces their chances of actually getting out. But he jumps on board just because of how passionate Emma is about the whole thing. Uh, Yeah, he kind of accepts to start seeing things her way. He's also very impressed that her concern at this time is nothing to do with her own livelihood, yeah. but with her siblings. They keep referring to themselves as siblings, but they're not actually blood-related. They're orphans. Yeah, they're all orphans who just grew up together in the same house. Eh, close so enough. To they're close them. enough to family. Yeah. Uh, so that is where episode one ends, with them deciding they're going to save everyone. Uh, I'll let you know at this point that the first probably five or so episodes are a little bit slower paced. Once again, to the second half of the season, it really fucking picks up and also does the delightful anime thing. Well, not anime, just TV show thing in general of ending on an immediate problem so that you have to watch next week's episode to see how they resolve this fucking issue. They do a fantastic job of leaving every episode with you either frustrated out of your mind, really annoyed, or really scared of what's going to happen. Yeah. So is it like kind of like the first half is like the planning aspect and then the second half is the actual break? Or? In, in a, uh, yeah. In a sense. So the first half is them mostly, yeah, planning the break. The second half is not necessarily all dedicated to their escape, but it's various things related more closely to their escape. So episode number two. Entitled 131045. Also, all the titles are just six numbers in a row. If you read into them a little bit, you figure out their dates. So this one is the 13th of October, the year 45. We don't know what the first two digits are, so maybe it's 2345. Maybe it's just 45 years since the orphanage. I was going to say, maybe it's year 45. Yeah, who knows? Um, So. uh, Do we know? No, not at this point in the series. Um, Oh, so we do know. uh, We might find out in season two. That's All we know from a couple books they read a few episodes later on, is that it is sometime past the year 2015. Yeah. Norman and Emma are kind of digging into the properties because they realize that kids get adopted. I'm now going to put air quotes around the word adopted. uh, Sometime between the age of 6 and 12. So there's some kind of condition for what causes kids to get harvested. Let's use that word instead of adopted now. uh, Earlier versus later. So they start looking into what the kids who got harvested younger have in common and what the kids who got harvested older have in common. And they start to realize it has to do with those daily tests. So kids who do better on the tests uh, get harvested later, whereas kids who do poorly on the tests get harvested earlier. And it's 
they determine that it's because demons are most interested in eating the brain. And so it's how well the brain's developing. If the brain's developing well, then they're going to let it fully develop and mature. If the brain's not developing well, it's not worth giving the extra time. Then they could start getting some of that delicious, delicious brain meat out of those kids nice and young. Um, uh, quick question here. So this Isabella person or whatever. Isabella? Isabella. Is she a demon? No. Okay. She's a human. So uh, we assume she's stupid then? Uh, no, we should absolutely assume she's evil, though. She is... Oh, I wasn't questioning that. And assume, because you know, she is incredibly cunning at this point. Oh, fair enough. Uh, it is one of those things where... So, I convinced another person to watch this series as well, shortly after watching it myself. Was it Matt? It was not Matt. It was... Because <laughs> no. I couldn't talk to Matt while he was watching it. I had to wait until today to talk to Matt about it. Uh, this other I, person... I s- over the few days I was watching this, I so wanted to message you. Like, why did you make me watch this? <laughs> uh... This other person who I made watch it uh, messaged me after the second episode and was like, oh, man, the demons are the worst. And I was like, the adults are so much worse than the demons. And they're like, I'm hoping the adults are just robots and not actually human. It's like, nope, you're going to get that idea just crushed out of you by the end of the series. Um, so, yes, Isabel, fully human, fully kind of a bitch. Um, so there's a scene here in this episode. I think it's this episode where uh, Isabella decides to play the... Uh, person who's it in their game of tag. Crone plays the person who's it. No, not, not, that's when Crone shows up a little later. But Isabella first has a little bit of, I know what's going on. Of an, I know what's going on moment. Because uh, the kids decide to play tag in the yard, and Isabella's like, alright, I'll be the one who comes find you this time. So uh, Isabella goes out and just systematically finds each and every child even faster than Norman can do. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh my god, she's so good! But then uh, Isabella pulls out her little pocket watch and gives Norman and Emma a sideward kind of smirk as like, alright, I'm on to you. And kind of showing them that she's tracking their locations. Yeah, it's also revealed in that one of the kids goes missing and... The uh, kids come running back. They're like, "Oh no, so and so fell ill." And oh, right, that, that, back. that's how it happens. Uh, and Isabel pulls out her little pocket watch and immediately walks directly towards where this kid is, and then walks directly right. back. Uh, yeah, and so the kids are like, "Oh fuck!" There's tracking devices in us, and she knows how to track us. Um, they and also the kids while playing, not even playing tag. I think they're just trying to explore a little bit and understand. Sounds more like hide and seek. It's. it's- the, the kind of play it that sort of way. They play tag and seek is how I'm going to describe oh, okay. it. Um, uh, so yes, uh, Norman and Emma also decide to explore a little bit and figure out what kind of obstacles they'll have to overcome because there's a very short fence encircling the orphanage that they're told not to pass because it's dangerous in the woods. They see that and they're immediately like, fuck that, this is clearly to keep us on the farm. So they hop the short fence and continue exploring and find what's approximately a 10 foot tall concrete wall. Uh, encircling the fence a little bit further out. And so that's the first big hurdle that they're going to have to uh, deal with. Because as you'd expect, in an enclosure that is meant to keep people inside, all of the trees have been cut back away from the wall so they can't really climb up a tree and then jump onto the wall. Yep. The two of them decide that there is a way for them to deal with this. They're just going to get sheets and tie them into ropes and use the ropes to climb the uh, wall. At the same time as they're bringing sheets out to this new tree to try and test out their plan, Ray approaches them, the third of the smart children who's very good at strategy and stuff. You know the one I'm talking about. 
The one with the very emo haircut. Yeah. Norman approaches them and reveals that he can tell something's up and he wants to know what exactly they're doing because they haven't come to him about what's going on. So they reveal what they know. He, of course, guffaws a little bit at them, suggesting that demons are a thing. But beyond that, kind of gets on board with their plan. Uh, He argues with Norman because, as we've already seen, Norman is a little bit unsure about the idea of saving everyone, whereas Emma's fully on board with the idea of saving everyone. Oh, was it only those two that saw the demon things? Yes. Oh, okay. And while Emma's going back to the house, and Norman and and, uh, Ray are having this conversation, we learn that Ray is very strongly against saving everyone. Is that... Everyone else will slow them down. He believes that the other children will be a burden, so he only wants the three of them to escape together. Uh, And he uses the analogy of trying to save everyone. It's kind of like trying to build a boat out of mud. It would immediately sink. And then Norman explains that Emma's enthusiasm has convinced him that they have to try and save all the children, and that you can harden mud in an oven... Until it dries out and then can be used as a boat. So making a boat out of mud is not a significant hurdle to stop you from actually sailing. So clearly Ray's argument is null and void. That's that's how that works. Uh, essentially Emma's enthusiasm has won over Norman and he agrees with the plan of trying to save everyone. And Ray begrudgingly agrees just so he can help them. And they in turn can help him. Uh, and then this episode ends with Isabella introducing two new members to the household. There's Carol, a new infant who will be replacing uh, Connie, who was recently adopted. Uh, and there's Crone, who is a new adult who's going to help out the sister with, uh, help out Isabella, because it's just getting a little hectic around here and she needs help with the work. It definitely doesn't have anything to do with the fact that the three oldest children are turn- currently trying to plan an escape. She definitely doesn't know about that. Why would she know about that? So that's episode two. Yeah. <laughs> Ten more to go. All right, episode three. Uh, entitled 181045, or the 18th of October, 45. We're just going to keep going with a year as just being 45. Maybe it's 45 years since this demon adoption clinic was set up. I don't fucking know. 45 years since the apocalypse. Uh, That's a good title. So, the three kids start discussing the fact that they realize they've been fitted with tracking devices, so they're going to have to figure out where they are in the body and how to stop them. Because it's also the kind of thing where potentially breaking it will cause it to immediately send a signal and alert uh, Isabella to the fact that it's been broken. So that's a hurdle they're going to have to deal with as well as how to get over the concrete wall. They also come to the conclusion that both Crone and Isabella are aware of the fact that they know too much. Uh, however, there's also like a lot of tension between Crone and Isabella at the same time. Crone clearly does not like Isabella and is trying to figure out what's going on with the kids for her own benefits. Crone also has a really creepy baby doll that I just don't like. Yes, yeah, no, it's <laughs> disturbing. But also the kids come to the realization that the adults can't really do anything to stop them outwardly, like bringing the demons in to get involved, because if anything happens to affect the mental growth of any of the kids, that will reduce the quality of their product. Yeah, if the kids all learn that there's demons and they're just being farmed, their brain's not going to grow as healthily as if they don't know that. They also decide, so they realize, based on Ray's complaints, that they're going fi- to need to find a way to physically train all the kids to be physically fit for the escape, as well as perhaps train them in a bit more strategy and understanding. So they decide, we're just going to play tag every day, except more aggressively than we've been playing tag already, 
to force the kids to grow up a little bit. So it's almost like them not telling the other kids so going they on turn their, their shield, game of, right? They yeah. essentially turn their game of tag into tag slash hide and sleep seek slash manhunter. And it gets really exciting because you see... So it's always Norm, Norman trying to track everyone down. So you see Emma running people through the paces of how to like physically train themselves by getting people to like follow her through like a rigorous escape from Norman course, essentially. And any time a kid is caught, Ray like sits down with him and is like, here's why Norman caught you. Here's the strategy of what you should have been doing. Here's what you need to be thinking about to try and like build up their strategy. As and well. meanwhile, Norman is also leading a group of kids saying, okay, this is my thought process and how I'm going about catching these people. And this is what you should do to try to throw me off your trail. So they decide, uh, this is at the point when Crone decides to be like, fuck you guys. I'm playing tag and I'm catching all y'all fuckers. I don't know why I'm swearing so much. <laughs> this is where I'm uh, a little less convinced that Crone specifically is fully human. Yeah, that scene is a little... She bursts through a tree. Yeah. Uh, the only active superhuman strength we see in this whole show. <laughs> uh, she uses most of this training to try and demoralize the kids because she knows that the big three uh, are aware of what they're trying to do. So she's trying to demoralize them. And show them that escape is impossible and accept your lot in life. But since she is so uh, considerate, she gives them a time limit that she has to catch them all in. And successfully, Emma, Ray, and Norman manage to outwit her just enough for the time to run out. Well, well Norman and Ray manage to outwit yes. it. Emma, right. in her desire to protect kids, ends up getting herself caught. Which supports Norman and Ray's theory that only the three of them can escape, and if they worry <laughs> about the other children, they're fucked. Um, Makes sense. So, at this point, Norman brings up the fact that he is convinced that one of the children is acting as a spy on behalf of the adults. Because of the fact that the reason that Isabel was so unconcerned for the mo longest time is because she had a spy inside the children who was telling them everything they need to know. Uh, or everything she needed to know. So Because they assume at this point that her tracking device only lets her know the locations of individuals. It doesn't tell her who those individuals are or what they're doing. So, uh, they end up... So that's kind of where episode two, three? Three ends? Three. Episode three ends. Uh, they're discovering that there's probably a spy amongst the children. So episode four begins with the trio kind of discussing their plans for escape and Norman uh, revealing... Or not Norman. Ray revealing that he's been working on a means to deal with the tracking device. He'll probably have something figured out in probably like nine or so days. It'll be a couple, a little over a week. Uh, to which Norman brings up like, fuck it, then we're escaping in ten days. If you're going to be done with the tracking device uh, solution in nine days, we'll escape in ten. And Norman's like, yo, what the fuck is that all about? <laughs> we got like two months before anyone else is getting adopted. Why are we rushing into the whole uh, escape plan when we have more time to prepare? And Norman points out, Isabella knows that there's two months until the adoption, so she would assume that the kids are going to use as much time to prepare as possible. So, by going early, they'll catch her off her guard, apparently. Um, unless the spy knows. Unless the spy knows. Yes. So, Norman has a plan to deal with that. He takes the two next oldest kids, who are also very smart. And they were also starting to suspect something was going on, just because of the way the three older kids were acting. So they take Dawn and Gilda, and they decide to let them in on the plan. They don't fully let them in on all the details. They explain that essentially the kids who get adopted aren't being adopted. 
They're being sold to child traffickers, and they're in danger, but they're not necessarily dead. So they get on board initially with the intent of saving Connie, because it's their hope that Connie is still alive and they can save her before it's too late. Uh, and this is where Norman lays his trap. He explains to Ray what the trap is, and this is how we figure out what the trap is. But essentially what he does is he splits up the ropes, uh, and he tells Ray, or not Ray, he t- tells Gilda that the ropes are hidden in the bathroom, and he tells Don that the ropes are hidden underneath his bed. And then if either one of them's the spy, they'll tell Mom, Isabella, and if the ropes get taken from either one of those locations, they know which one of them is the spy. So, very intelligent plan of how to catch a spy. And by intelligent, I mean the default plan you tend to use with trying to figure out a spy. <laughs> yeah. Give everyone different information, see which information gets re- released. Um, so, that night, he kind of waits to figure out what happens. At the same time, we see Gilda get up in the middle of the night and walk to Sister Crone's room. And we get real suspicious, as does Emma, because she follows Gilda. She's like, oh no, not this bitch. She's my friend. Because they were having nice heart-to-heart but uh, unbeknownst to uh, Gilda, when she was getting up in the middle of the night, Emma was still awake and hoping that she wasn't the spy. Yeah. So we watch Gilda walk into Crone's room, and then we watch Crone immediately be like, all right, so tell me what you know. The older kids, they talk to you now. What what you got for me? And Gilda's like, I'm not going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to tell you what's going on. I am not your friend, bitch. Once again, I'm just adding swears that do not exist in the series. <laughs> Uh, I'm getting mixed messages where I really like this character and then you're like, oh, it, I was lying. It's like, oh, why? I don't know. Uh, so, Gilda chooses not to reveal anything to Crone and Emma immediately hugs Gilda when she gets back to the room. She's like, I was so worried that you were the spy. I'm so glad that we can still be friends. You're my best friend. I don't want to believe that there's a spy. I want to believe that whoever is the spy is doing it for good reasons. So the next morning... Uh, Gilda's dead. <laughs> Norman decides to check, and surprise, surprise, the ropes in the bathroom are still there, but the ropes under his bed are gone. And Ray's like, well, fuck, based on what you told me, that means it's gotta be Dawn, right? And Norman's like, man, you punk-ass fool, that's not even close to how it is. You're the spy. I told Norman, or I told Dawn and Gilda completely different locations, and told you what I was doing, and gave you two different locations that I gave either of them to see who, if you were the spy, and who you wanted to throw under the bus. So raise the spy. Get I, I, I was assuming that from yeah. the beginning. Yeah, because in the first episode, when uh, Norman and Emma and I are going about doing their things, we keep getting these side shots of Ray just in a corner watching them. So that is where episode four ends with Ray being accused of being the spy, and then we also get just the creepiest fucking face. Yeah, the off episode Ray. cuts with him going full evil grin. Yes, I'm the spy. What are you going to do about it? Episode 5, Ray has been revealed as the spy. Uh, Ray explains that he did it because he's known uh, for a while about the situation. He doesn't go into specifics about how he found out or anything. He says he's known for a while and he's been feeding Isabella information in exchange for trinkets so that he can, I don't know, learn about the outside world. Uh, And at the same time, ensuring that he doesn't get shipped off earlier than he was originally scheduled to. And Isabella's on board with this plan. Uh, Norman also explains that it's always been his hope that those two would figure it out. And he specifically set up the situation with Connie leaving her bunny behind so that they would be forced to race after Connie and see what had happened. Them leaving the bunny behind for Isabella to find was not part of the plan, which kind of ruined his plan. Otherwise, he would have come out to them that night and explained everything he knew. Um, But 
things are all working out now because all three of them know all of the truth. Because yeah, Isabella finding the bunny kind of threw Ray under the bus because he had to apologize for doing something that was uh, not good in the eyes of Isabella. That's fair. Uh, I mean, he could have probably played it off as like he had no idea about it and then thrown someone else under the bus if he really wanted. Yeah, mm. but he's the smart kid, so he can't play off as being dumb. Um, no, I mean like the I didn't send them out there. They the other smart kids did it, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, Ray eventually agrees to continue helping Norman while acting as a bit of a double agent, uh, spying on them, but giving only the information they want to give. Oh, man, we're gonna get so many like flips. I feel like from this point, it's like a five time agent. Yeah, probably. Uh, so he agrees to side with Norman, but on one condition, and that one condition is. Fuck the other 35 children inside this orphanage. The three of them are the only ones escaping. But because Emma's so gung-ho about saving everyone, we're not telling Emma. We're just going to ditch the kids halfway through and force Emma to just accept it in the middle of the escape. Uh, And Norman doesn't like it, but he agrees with the plan uh, and just kind of moves on. I mean, Gilda and Don didn't be brought in. They're already in. Or are they not that smart? they're, they're They're still not fully in. They're still in on the planning. They don't get... All of the key details. Yeah, they don't know about the yeah. demons or anything yet. So it's easy to just shunk them off to the side to be later kid abducted by people who are clearly just child traffickers. Uh, Norman has a bit of a conversation with Emma about the idea of the spy. And he's like, if we find the spy, what do you want to do? Do you want to kick them out of the plan? And she's like, no, I still want them to escape. I assume they're spying for good reasons. And then Ray approaches Emma and he's like, hey, by the way, I'm the spy. And she's like... Cool, that's fine. We're still escaping. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nor- Norman was going to uh, make up some sort of excuse, and then Ray was like, oh no, I'm the spy. And Norman just completely freaks out, and Emma's like, eh, alright then. Yep. Man, they're really setting her up to die, aren't they? Yep. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, at the same time, while Norman was running his investigation, it's revealed that Emma was running her own separate investigation. Which was by... <laughs> and I already knew that he was the spy, and you knew that you knew that he was the spy. <laughs> uh, no, she was walking alongside the Isabella's office, and she discovered that it's a different size outside than it is inside, and it's slightly smaller on the inside. So there's clearly a hidden room at the back of her office uh, that presumably is how she communicates with the demons to discuss when they're going to adopt... Not adopt, harvest cho- children. Do they not have a fucking telephone? <laughs> Well, the, they have the telephone, but you can't really talk on the phone about, yeah, you can absolutely come collect this child's brain on this day. I mean, just like, yeah, we speak in code. Yes, they're fully ready for adoption. They've reached peak adoption levels. That's essentially what she does, but she has the <laughs> secret conversation in a secret room because she's not super great. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's also a kind of check-in for her because we learn a little later on that she also has some restrictions. I would assume so. Oh, the so demons are clearly the ones to control, and she's operating at them as a tool. And I feel like if she doesn't have a usefulness anymore, bad for her. So yeah, they decide that it's probably for the best that they don't search it. It's a little bit too risky. Uh, however, Don and Gilda, who have also been told about the secret room, uh, but haven't been told about the fact that Connie's absolutely dead, are like, nah, fuck that. This might be our chance to track down what happened to Connie. We're breaking into the secret room to figure out what happened to Connie. Uh, so they decide to... If she does anything to us, we'll call the police. So they decide to sneak into, uh, Isabella's office. And right as they find the door to the secret room, uh, the door to the office starts open. And they're like, oh, fuck, Isabella's caught us. And then the episode ends. And this is when the episodes start doing that really annoying thing of introducing a problem right as the episode ends. 
Uh, it's called tension. Yeah, they're really good at that. So, episode 6, 31, 10, 45. Perfect. This episode is just... Starts right off with uh, Don and Gilda's problem being resolved. It was not Isabel opening the door. It was Phil, a five-year-old. The best five-year-old in the entire series. He just got the biggest, brightest eyes and smile. He can open doors. Everyone there. It's also a recurring theme where anytime they're building to a jump scare... There's like a 95% chance it's just Phil. It's just Phil. He's always in the worst place. Hey guys, you hiding too? We're playing hide and seek. I don't know. That happens three times. I'm starting to suspect <laughs> Phil. It definitely gets to the point where like you see Phil in the final episode and you're like, were you in on it the entire time? Phil's actually like the smartest kid there and he figured it out months ago. <laughs> yeah. uh, so uh, at the same time, we... Emma tells Norman and Ray that she's been going through the library and she's found Morse code hidden in the books. Certain books that were donated uh, by a guy named William Minerva have uh, Morse code and there's a weird message, but they can't piece together the whole message. They get weird or jumbled words like farm, shipment or whatever, escape, freedom. Neverland. Neverland. Um, soup. Soup. I don't think they get sued. This is one of the words, but I could be mistaken. <laughs> so, while in uh, the secret room, uh, Don and Gilda see Connie's bunny, as well as a whole bunch of other mementos from other kids who have been adopted. Yeah, so they come to the realization that, well, if they were actually adopted, then surely our caretaker would have sent these off to the kids if yeah. they forgot them. So. They clearly something actually happened to the kids. And they come to the conclusion that the kids are dead. And that Norman, Ray, and Emma have been lying to them. The kids are 100% dead and they've known all along. Which is not good. I don't, I don't think I'd get into the, like, they're dead. I don't think I'd turn on them at this point, though. It's like, well, they're dead and I think we're going to no, be dead, too. They're, they're just really upset that they've been left out of the loop and forced a confrontation. Yeah. So, later on that night... In just the fucking dining room where anyone could walk in, they confront the three and they're like, "Tell us the truth. We know the kids are dead." And that's we when we snuck into the room. You what? Yeah. Uh, and that's when finally Norman, Ray, and Emma explain demons are a thing. We need to call the police. Don't call the police. And they're harvesting Oh my god! Don't call the police. It's like we're being raised as food. Demons are a thing. The police are demons. Don't call the demon police. Uh, or do you call the demon police? Is there, like, is there some ethical issue going on here that they could probably get in trouble for? It depends on if demon police means police who are demons or police who police demons. If it's the demon police who are police who police demons, then yes, call those. If it's demon police who are just police who are demons, don't call those. Um, There's some ethical standards here at this facility that I think need to be dealt with. I have some food safety concerns about this farm. Um, at least three of the kids have lice. So... Uh, Don and Gilda are initially pretty hostile towards them for not being told, but then reveal that they just wanted to be in on everything from the ground. Yeah, and we're just more upset that they weren't respected enough to be told everything. So a little bit later on, Norman starts looking under Ray's bed and finds a whole bunch of shit under there, but we don't get into specifics of what he sees. Uh, and then Norman and Emma have a conversation where Emma reveals she has a bit of a plan to escape with everyone. That she works out with Norman. And Norman's on board with. He's like, yeah, this is great. Let's not tell Ray, though, because Ray's really gung-ho about abandoning 35 kids. So let's just not tell him. Uh, <laughs> a lot of problems going to come up later, I can see. <laughs> yep. So, uh... The double, like, betrayal. It's like, we're leaving the kids. We're what? No, actually, we're not. We're betraying you. What? 
so then Ray is having a conversation with Isabella. Uh, and Isabella reveals that he's the next one to get adopted. So congrats. In two months' time, you're getting adopted. You know what adopted means, but in two months' time, it's happening. We know that he knows that... Or we know that she knows that he knows because he's her spy and has been aware of it for the entire time. At the same time, Crone confronts Emma and Norman, and she's like, Hey, I know you know what this house is all about. I want to partner up with you. I want to be friends. Let's work together on this shit. Because she reveals... That she wants any evidence she can get a hold of to frame Isabella for not raising the kids properly so she can take over Isabella's position as the mom of the house. <laughs> Cut to black next episode. Episode 7. We're, we're powering through, guys. Now, I, I just want to point out, clearly the smartest move for any of these intelligent kids is try to work your way in with the demons and take the position. So... <laughs> uh, episode 7, we have Crone talking with Norman and Emma. Oh, also at this point, I should say, a while back, uh, Emma kind of investigated the body of Carol, the new child who was brought in. Oh yeah, she, and she discovered was like just a baby. Discovered a little bump in her ear, and they determined that that is the tracking device. So the tracking it's device is hidden inside children's ears. Disguised as a little blood test that uh, all the kids take before they arrive at the facility. So yes. Uh, now, the kids... Decide to meet with Crone in the middle of the night. So they uh, are like, let's talk to Crone. They ask her a couple questions like, where's the tracking device? Is there any way to turn it off and stuff like that? And Crone's like, gives them the answer. She also explains how moms work, which is when a girl who is does well enough on the test reaches 12, uh, the mom of that orphanage can sponsor her for momhood. Uh, and then if you get sponsored for momhood, you go to the central demon building. Where you're taught and educated on how to be a mom of a facility and go through rigorous testing and training. Uh, some ways more literally than other, because one of the steps to becoming a mom is you have to literally give birth to a child. Uh, yeah. Which explains why children get smarter and smarter, because they take the smartest kids and then fucking impregnate them and make them have even smarter kids. Um, so yes. Uh, the mom... I feel like this can backfire for the demons. Yep. A little bit. Just uh, a bit. Just a bit. So, Crone was given that option. She immediately took it. Essentially what happens is the do- or the girls, they are brought into the room where they're going to be killed by the demon. They're presented with the demon who will kill them. And they're like, alright, so you got two options. Get killed by this demon right here and right now. Or become a mom. It's your choice. And most of the girls are like, well, I don't want to be killed by a demon. So they choose the option to survive as long as they can. The thing about that, though, is moms are also implanted with a separate tracking device. Except this tracking device doesn't it's, go in their ear. It's it in goes their in chest the, somewhere. It's near their heart, and the way it works is if they ever leave the bounds of the orphanage, uh, it explodes, and they immediately die. Uh, so moms can't leave. Uh, in the context of this anime about uh, children orphanage. Moms are allowed to leave whenever they want. It just ruins families. Um, <laughs> <laughs> at the same time as this is happening, Ray is having a meeting with uh, Isabella about his spying. And she gives him a little instant camera with, like, the flashing bulb. And she's like, here you go. This is your last prize because it's another trinket that he's been getting for helping out. So this is where the really fucked up shit starts to happen. Because the next day, Norman and Emma have the plan of they're going to climb the wall. Not to escape, but just to scout out what's beyond the wall so they can start working on the next step of their plan. At the same time, Ray is going to distract Isabella and keep her from... Finding out about what Norman and Emma are doing. Uh, and 
Crone has her own special plan that she's going to get uh, Isabella kicked out. And Dawn and Gilda are given the task of watching for uh, Ray's signal if things go south. And then if the things do go south, they'll immediately run to Norman and Emma. Let them know that things have gone south so that they don't get caught. Cut to black next episode. Episode 9. Shit starts going wrong immediately. Uh, Crone <laughs> is told by Isabella that she's immediately being uh, replaced. She's being given the role of mom at Plant 4. Uh, so have fun with that role. They're currently at Plant 3. Isabella locks Ray in Crone's old room. And she's like, yeah, I don't need you anymore. Don't need a spy. I'm good. I figured everything out. I don't need any more information. And she locks him in the room and then takes her tracker to go track down Norman and Emma. But Ray's locked in the room, so he can't give the signal because apparently the window's on the wrong side of the building for Don and Gilda. Which, I mean, you got two people opposite sides of the building. You're resolved, but fine, yeah. fuck it, whatever. <laughs> they're just standing right next to each other watching the same fucking window. That's why they were brought in late. They're not the smartest. Yeah. Crone <laughs> uh, uh, goes to the gate host, uh, and then we end up... She, she's still visibly upset, though, that she didn't succeed in her plan. She didn't bring... Uh, the wrongdoings of Isabella to light. So, Crone has a meeting with the, gra- grandma. the grandma, who is the mom to the moms. Um, <laughs> and she tries to explain that Isabella has lost control and shit's going wrong. And the grandma's like, nah, fuck you, I don't care. He's like, don't worry about it. Things are going all according to plan. Uh, and then we realize that Crone's not being transferred from Plant 4. She's getting killed by a demon because Isabella don't like her and has that kind of power, apparently. I think this is around the time that we discovered that Plant 3 is the most prestigious of the plants, uh, which is why Isabel has so much fucking power over everyone, including getting other moms just straight up killed. I mean, if she can prove that they're actively working against the facility and it's the best facility, I guess that's grounds enough to, like, oh, well, you're a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, I should note, a little while back when the kids were talking with Crone, they decided that they should use Crone for as much information as possible, but should not reveal any of their plan to Crone, because Crone's whole deal is... Once the kids escape, she plans on using that as proof to get Isabella replaced. Uh, but if she just gets enough information to show that they're planning an escape, then that's good enough. And, and she, she can, can prove that Isabella wasn't doing anything about it yet. Yeah. yeah. So they realize that they can't let her know anything because if she gets proof... Then she'll replace Isabella and put a complete stop on their escape plans. Really, I think the smartest thing would be finding a way to work them against each other, but it seems that's not a problem anymore. <laughs> yep. Nope. Uh, it's not something they can do anymore. So, uh... So the uh, Norman's been locked, or not Norman, Ray's been locked in a room, and Isabella has left to go track down Norman and yeah. Emma. And Dawn and Gilda see Isabella coming out of the house, and they're like, uh-oh, something's not right. Why didn't Ray give us a signal? So Dawn runs in and breaks down the door that Norman or Ray is trapped behind. The two of them run out to the clearing where Norman and Emma are climbing the wall. And Norman and Emma are still planning on climbing the wall, but they see Isabella walk up. And they've got a perfect plan. Norman's going to climb the wall, Isabella's going to get tackled by Emma and be stopped so that Norman has time to scout out. Uh, this plan goes immediately wrong because Isabella shat... Not shatters. It's a very clean brain. <laughs> you gotta go there. She shat. <laughs> I was gonna say she shatters, but then I realized that that's not accurate because it's a very clean break to fucking Isabella... Or not Isabella. Emma's leg. Uh, it's just broke cleanly in two. Um, it's like, uh, now, you can't run anymore. You can't escape anymore. Give up. You'll be nice and uh, calm and prepared for tomorrow. Yeah. And Emma's like, what the fuck is tomorrow? And she's like, oh, that's the day that Norman's getting adopted. And everyone's like, what the fuck? We were told we had two months till Ray gets adopted. And she's like, no, Norman's getting adopted tomorrow. Have fun. But don't worry, Emma. Your leg will be recovered in two months for when Ray goes. And then you can go shortly after. Yeah. So she also explains that she cares deeply about all of the children in her orphanage. 
And she believes that the best life for them is not struggling to escape, but just calmly living carefree and happy until they get adopted and then having a very brief moment of despair. Essentially just a short, blissful life of ignorance. Yep. Uh, Ignorance is bliss, as they say. Uh, She also explains that the three of them, Norman, Ray, and Emma, are the best quality meat she has ever produced, and that they are the only meat fit for the one. We don't really get explained to what the one is, but presumably it's the Demon King or something to that effect. Wouldn't these three also be up for, like, getting the deal, though? Or is that Uh, up to uh, the mother? It's Uh, it's up to the mother, and it's only given to... Female. So Emma might potentially be up for it. Norman and Ray. Yeah, and not. we even learn either this episode or the following episode that Isabella was going to recommend Emma. So yeah, uh, cut to black on the revelation that Norman's getting shipped up the next day. Episode 9, uh, conspirators, the children, I don't know why I call them conspirators, the children are <laughs> determined to make sure that Norman escapes. So they come up with the plan of Norman will escape during the day. Of his adoption uh, before the night. Ray's finished his device that'll disable the tracking device. Turns out the camera he was given earlier was the last piece he needed to make uh, something that'll short All the trinkets he's been gathering over the years of informing Isabella, he was taking parts and putting together so this So he was little, making his own escape plan. This essentially time. a little taser that'll short out the tracking device. Yeah. Uh, so he... Oh, also, just for clear, Crone's dead now? Yeah. Yeah, Crone's dead. Okay. We also got to see I wasn't sure if that was going to be like a cliffhanger that comes into play or something, or we see her die. I don't. We see her die. We right? see her die. So the fun part is we even see how the demons kill them, which is they poke your heart with a white flower and then it turns red because it's the blood. That's how you die from demons. Um, Very quick, and judging by the looks on their faces, agonizing. Oh yeah, incredibly painful. No one looks happy about this fact that this is happening. Um, so he uh, raises that Norman doesn't have to fucking fully escape on his own. Plan is they're going to turn off his tracker. And then he can just hide out in the woods for two months until Emma's fully healed and everyone else is ready to escape. And then they'll all escape together. In the meanwhile, Norman can, like, scout out out and build things. Maybe build a ladder or something to get up the wall. Um, Norman's not really on board with this plan because he realizes that the moment one of the three AAA prime beef children goes missing, security is going to get raised a thousand percent. So he's like... Or they may just decide to adopt another one of the top three kids. Yeah, he also brings that up. He's like, or they'll adopt one of you two. And Emma's like, oh, well, they're not going to adopt me. I, my leg's broken. And Ray's like, oh, I can just break my fucking leg and I'll also not <laughs> adopt it. <laughs> Emma's like, it will break your leg too, so they can't adopt you. Uh, can we break my arm instead? <laughs> uh, so it's clearly just a bad time. Norman straight up refuses. He's like, nope, there's no way I'm going through with this. They're like, ah, but you have to. And he's like, all right, fine, I'll go through with this. Which is the night before his adoption, Ray finally reveals how he figured out right. about uh, the orphanage, which is that he's actually always known because he doesn't suffer from infantile amnesia. Which he- infantile amnesia is the fact that, like, after you're born at a certain age, you don't don't have any memories before that. He has memories of being in the womb and everything that comes after that. Um, Not... Not completely, like, just parts here and there, but in full detail. Yeah, they're fragmented, but he has very detailed memories, and he's known that the shit he's seen doesn't fit with the stories they try to tell the kids. So he knows that they've been a part of a demon farm all along, and has been waiting to try and reveal that information to Norman Mm -hmm. and Emma at the right time. So yeah, that's the fun stuff going on with Ray. So the next day is the day of Norman's escape. 
So he runs off, climbs the wall, and then... Looks out into what looks like a forest. Yeah, so he sees the forest on the other side of the wall. That night, shortly before his adoption, uh, Emma and Ray are chuckling to themselves in front of uh, Isabella. And they're like, ha ha ha, looks like Ray might not, or Norman might not get adopted. And she's like, no, no, he's getting adopted. And like, no, he's not. And then Norman just fucking walks back into the clearing. And he's like, yeah, I am. And they're like, ah. All dressed up and ready to go, too. Uh, He has a brief meeting with them to tell them that he's decided that he can't escape because there's a bigger issue with getting over the wall, which is there's a very deep and very wide chasm on the immediate other side of the wall. So even if they climb over, they can't get across the chasm. Uh, he also explored the and wall. I guess he also was smart enough to realize if I destroy my tracker, they would pretty much know I'm inside the facility still. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he also scoted out the wall a little bit and discovered that they're essentially in a giant triangular piece of concrete that meets at other pieces of triangles. Uh, so he comes to the conclusion that there's probably six triangles set up in a hexagon. Uh, so there's probably five farms and the one like main demon operation. And the only way to get across the chasm is a giant bridge that you have to go through the main demon operation to get to the bridge. Uh, so it was unfeasible for him to escape on his own right there. So he comes back, but he gives them that information so that they can use it to escape uh, when the time comes. Emma's just not having any of this. And as he's like getting ready to leave for his adoption, uh, she tries to tackle him and tase his ear so that he's forced to escape. And he, once again, is like, no, this is just going to ruin everything for everyone else. Not doing this. Uh, so he kind of is like, fuck off, Emma. This is not how this is working. I'm getting adopted. You have to make sure the other 37 of you manage to escape. Um, and so Norman stands back up and Isabella is like, if you try a stunt like that again, you little shit, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> yep. Uh, so cut to black, end of episode nine. Uh, not, not, uh, oh right, yes, yes, yes. Yes, episode 10. Oh god, this one is, <laughs> so he has left at this point. Uh, did it, did it, is it episode 9 or episode 10 that actually shows him going to the gatehouse? This is episode 10. Okay. So he has left the orphanage and is brought to the gatehouse, uh, and he like starts walking towards the truck because he's like, that's where the dead body was, that's where I'm gonna die. And Isabel's like, nah, fuck that, come wait in this side room for a demon to eventually come kill you. Uh, Which leads me to believe that he might not be dead at yeah, this point. I, so, that's the key detail. We Any other person who was killed by the demons, we do get to see their corpse. We just see him brought into a side waiting room, which is how Crone described what happened to her when she was given the offer to become a mother. But he's not a female, so he wouldn't have the mother option. So it seems like there might be some other option that was offered to Norman. So he might not be dead. Only way to find out is to either read the manga or wait for season two. Uh, Which has started to air, but I'm not going to start watching it until it's finished, because like season one, it is absolutely painful to leave off on an episode when you know there's another <laughs> one coming. Yeah. Uh, so he, that shit happens to him. This is the point when Isabella approaches Emma and she's like, hey, by the way, you can be a mom. Like, I'll, I'll fully recommend you become a mom. And... Isabel, or, and Emma's just like, uh, no, how about fuck you? That, like, I'm clearly opposed to this entire operation. I'm not going to immediately get on board if I get to live. Because as we've seen from the beginning, her character motivation is not whether or not she lives or dies. It's saving every other one of the children. 
Uh, then we get a bit of a montage of two months passing. Yeah, because now that Norman is gone, along with their supposed hopes of escape, it seems that Emma and Ray have just broken down completely and lost all hope. So we see Don and Gilda approach Ray, and Ray explain, Nah, I'm done with this whole escape idea. It's not going to work. I give up. Uh, we see them also... Well, we see over the course of the two-month montage, like, all of the different kids try and come up and consult Emma, because... Emma was the, like, super friendly one that everyone was friends with. Um, but now all she does is mope all day every day in a corner or by a tree. Because her best friend Norman's dead. Presumably. We don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. He's definitely coming back in season two. The show is very much so built around the three of them. There's no way he's not coming back in season two. Um, so, she's been moping the entire time. Uh, two months pass in the form of a montage. And then we get to the night before uh, Ray's birthday when he's going to get fucking adopted off. And he is sitting in the dining hall at midnight saying goodbye to the host. When Emma walks up to him uh, and they have a bit of a conversation. uh, And he, uh, Ray turns to Emma and asks if she ever actually gave up on escaping. To which Emma just kind of smiles and then cuts a black next episode. (laughs) Episode 11. Emma admits she was fully given up. She doesn't care anymore. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so they kept saying season 2, there was no season 2. Like, yeah, I'm gonna be a mommy. Yeah, no. Uh, episode 11 of 12. Uh, Emma reveals that she never actually gave up. She just knew that Isabel was gonna be watching Ray and her super closely. So she couldn't outwardly uh, work on the plan. So what's happening is anytime one of those kids like walked up to her to like console her... It was actually they were directed to do so by Dawn and Gilda so that she could parse out more of the plan to more of the kids. And so it turned out she actually told, like, all of the kids who were older than six? Uh, yeah. So originally the plan was to not tell any of the kids except for Dawn and Gilda. She decided that she trusted all of the kids to handle the information well enough. So anyone who is six or older has been fully told about the demons, had all that explained to them, had their escape plan explained to them. So that they can all start directly working towards this plan. Um, but with the big problem, you kind of, like, the whole thing about keeping them out and leaving them behind doesn't work anymore because you kind of need all of them to yeah. solve yeah. something like that. Uh, so, and uh, it's a little easier for them to pull this off now because uh, Isabella now completely knows that it was just those three who were planning it. They had a little bit of help from Donna and Gilda, but they were really... Not the they're, smart kids. They're so just they're tools. Not... Yeah. Yeah. So she was just watching, like, okay, yeah, they're completely depressed. They're defeated. I've won. So she just stops kind of caring, just watching them idly from the sidelines. Uh, so Ray decides that the biggest thing they need is they need a distraction. Otherwise, Isabella is going to catch them. And if she doesn't catch them, she still has the phone to the main house. So the moment she realizes they're gone, she can just call the main house and be like, hey, children have escaped. They can lift the bridge and there's no chance for them to escape. So they're going to need a distraction. And Ray says, what if we light the orphanage on fire? And that's what I've been thinking the entire time. Do you want a distraction? Just light the whole place on fire. Yeah. Something's got to happen. <laughs> uh, but Ray has an extra step. Demon firefighters. <laughs> uh, Ray has an extra step beyond just lighting the house on fire. Because in order to fully ensure that Isabella is distracted, they need to light some of her prime merchandise on fire that she's determined to sell to the demons. So, Ray has convinced himself he is going to self-immolate himself. Because we... It was hinted at that he did some experimentation on some of the older kids, or some of the younger kids before. So, he's not exactly the most innocent. 
right now. And he's ashamed of what he's done in the past to get where he is now. So, Emma runs to Isabella's room and she's like, Isabella, you gotta help. The kitchen, uh, the dining uh, room's on fire. No. Uh, Isabella's in her room about to start giving a report, but then she hears Emma crying Ray's name. Right. Uh, so, she comes out and sees that Emma is crying about the fact that Ray just lit himself on fire. Uh, more, more that the whole kitchen is on fire and Ray is in the fire. <laughs> the kitchen's on fire! Ray's in there too, but the kitchen's on fire! <laughs> yes. To clarify, she doesn't explain that Ray lit himself on fire, but she explains that Ray is in a room that is actively on fire. Uh, Isabel pulls out her tracker, sees that the tracking dot is indeed right in the middle of the fire. I have an idea where this is going. Oh, yeah. Ray's in there. <laughs> I think you figured it out, just like everyone who's watching it. Um, <laughs> so she starts running in. She has the line she says to herself out loud, which is, I've got to save him. Or at least his brain. Uh, and then she starts diving in to try and put out the fire. Um, and, like, and then just calls over her shoulder, Emma, get out of the house and get all the children out to safety. So Emma, of course, does that. She starts evacuating the children. Uh, and then fucks off and leaves with the children, of course. Yeah. Uh, Isabella manages to put out the fire. And then she sees that it's not Ray inside the fire. But she's like, Emma, What? And she pulls out her tracker, and Emma's just around the corner. And then she walks around the corner and sees a bucket with a lopped-off ear inside yeah. of it. <laughs> She's like, fuck. And then we do a little bit of a flashback where Ray's a boat to light himself the fuck on fire. Emma catches the match and she's like, how about this? And, and she cuts off his ear. Because Ray doused the kitchen in kerosene and then dumped kerosene on top of himself, lit a match, and then just dropped it. Yeah. Uh, so she cuts off his ear. Yeah, because I was thinking, like, if it's in the ear, you don't have to shut them off if you're willing to take your ear yeah. off. Yeah. Just go full Vincent Van Gogh and you'll be fine. Uh cut off the ear, and then they throw in just a bunch of meat and human hair into a pile so that it actively smells like a human being is burning alive. Uh, and then they started their escape. So they make it to the concrete wall, start climbing, and then Ray makes a surprising discovery, which is that not all of the kids are with them. Yeah, what's going on, Emma? And then cut to Isabella, and we hear, oh no, it's another jump scare. Actually, it's Phil pulling on her. He's like, What's going on, Isabella? Where Where is everyone? And then fade to black. And my, my thought is here. It's like, oh no, Isabella's going to corner them again. I know there's a season two because the sidebar is showing episodes of season two. She's going to stop the evacuation because she's going to use Phil as a hostage. Uh, so the children start climbing the wall. And then in a flashback, it's revealed that Emma was really kind of torn up about the idea of do we try to escape with the five-year-olds and younger because... She does admit they, it will absolutely make the escape more difficult. Uh, and she doesn't know for sure if it's the best idea for them to escape with them. Uh, so but, what she does is she grabs Phil and brings him into the room. Well, what this is also what helped her make her decision about the escape and how to go about it. Is because Phil already kind of knew what was going on. Uh, yeah, so she brings Phil into her room, explains the truth to Phil, and Phil's like, Yeah, I pretty much already knew all that. And she's like, How the fuck did you figure it out? Phil is the smartest kid in the house. Well, you and Norman have been acting different ever since Connie left, and you were so emotionally distraught when Norman left. Something bound to be happening. Yeah, I knew we weren't just getting a dog. kids are getting smarter. That was very clear, considering (laughs) this demon system does not work. Yeah. Um, So, it's revealed that she explains to Phil the fact that, like, yeah, uh, this is what's been going on. Demons are adopting us. Uh, She also explains that, like, only when you're if you're smarter, you're saved for longer before you're adopted. So you're up to one to do it in the next ten years. Uh, yeah, so she literally says, like, 
I don't know about escaping with all of the five-year-olds. And Phil's like, yeah, absolutely. We got weak legs and shit. Like, we're not going to be good at escaping. It's just like, I'm glad you're on board with this. The way I see it, there's at least two years before anyone else gets adopted. Because the five-year-olds are smart enough that they're not getting adopted at the age of six. So it's either four-year-olds reaching six get adopted or five-year-olds reaching seven getting adopted. That's So we got two years to kill. Uh, yeah, and here's the plan. And Phil's marks are good, so it's going to be several years before he's adopted. So what we're thinking is all the older kids abandon the younger kids. And then in two years' time, we come back and rescue you once we've built up a system outside where we can properly take care of the younger kids. And Phil's like, oh, fuck yeah, that idea's poggers. Let's do that. Are we going to fight demons? Yeah. <laughs> like, literally. Call the Doomslayer. <laughs> the first half of this, the first three quarters of the season, Phil's just a constant jump scare resolution. I hated Phil. <laughs> the moment this scene happened, I'm like, nah, Phil, you're the best character. Yeah, this, this is what this implies now. Phil fucking knew what was going on and was doing it on purpose. Yeah. Uh, well, that was how he was getting his information. <laughs> he was popping in when you least expected him. Uh, Are you guys scared of demons? Okay, I'm just gonna walk in and shiggle this door handle for like five seconds, then come in. <laughs> uh, so, during this time, Isabella manages to get the like transponder to communicate with the main base, and she alerts them to what's happening. And alarms start going off all around, and they're like, uh, hostages out of escape. Not hostages. Something bad has happened because they don't want to alert all the kids and the other things. I forget what the exact alarm is, but there's very clearly an alarm going off informing them that the children have escaped. Uh, and Ray's like, this is bad. Now we have to go through the demon base while demons are actively looking for us. And we get a flash cut to a horde of demons now standing guard on the bridge. Past the gatehouse so they can't see them, but still actively in their way. Uh, and then Ray starts seeing Norman. Just like visions of Norman from his earlier when Norman's like, you just gotta trust me, bud, and I'll show you something truly spectacular. Uh, so they go a little bit further along the wall. Emma's just not explaining shit to Norman, uh, to Ray. <laughs> Did Norman like, make an airplane or a zip line? Just like, uh, uh, kind of. Norman <laughs> discovered the one part where the chasm was slightly thinner than all the other parts of the chasm. And he realized that one of the older kids, specifically Don, could feasibly throw a rock with a rope attached to it far enough that he could uh, create hook, a zip line across. Hook it around the branch of a tree on the other side. Yeah. And so those next two months after Norman was adopted... Don has been training his throwing arm. Yeah, so you actually see during the montage, Don playing a game where he just throws a rock in a tree from far away. And you're like, that's a weird game to play, but whenever he fills your time, Don, you realize... This <laughs> as long as he's not trying to escape, that's fine. Uh, and we're just like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then we realize, yeah, that's Don training for the escape. Uh, Don ziplines across, and then a couple of the small kids create those baking soda and vinegar bottle rockets. <laughs> We and also we, saw a little earlier on that uh, they were experimenting and playing with those, too. Uh, and so they launched those across the chasm to create two more zip lines so that more kids can cross at once. They can get across quicker. Uh, and the kids start crossing. And we realized that all that montage we saw of time passing and them being sad was them actively working towards their plan <laughs> every step of the way. Um, so they managed to cross the chasm. And well, while they're crossing the chasm, it's like uh, Isabella's still in contact with the demons. The demons are like, have the kids shown up at the bridge yet? No, they're still not here. What's going on? Where are they? And then Isabella's like, they're not going to the bridge. Uh, we also get a bit of a flashback from Isabella's perspective, uh, which is her being a child, falling in love with one of the other kids at the orphanage, then discovering that her friends are being turned into demon food, trying to escape, failing to escape, 
end up deciding to become a mom to survive. Because in her escape attempt, when she saw the cliff and chasm that she couldn't get past, she just immediately lost hope. Yeah. So she decides to become a mom so that she can survive. Uh, she ends up giving birth to a baby. While she's pregnant with the baby, she hums a very particular tune. And then we jump forward in her flashback to, like, I don't know, let's say Ray's approximately, like, four years old. And he's humming the exact same tune. Uh, tune, not tomb. Uh, I was waiting for one of the characters to be related to her. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, Isabella's like, yo, where'd you hear that tune? And Ray's like, I heard it when I was in the womb. Why'd you give birth to me, Mom? Why'd you do this to me, Mom? <laughs> and she's like, ah, fuck. What could also imply why she specifically chose him to be the spy on top of that, and yeah. also was kind of stopping him from going. Yeah. Chose him to be the spy to lengthen his life as much as she possibly could. It does also mean that when she heard that her son was on fire, her first thought was, need to harvest my son's brain real quick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think she had come to terms with what was going to happen to her child. Long yeah, before especially then. whereas it seems like as far as she's concerned, there's no male option. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Isabella ends up like climbing the wall. She gets there just in time to watch Ray zipline across. Because essentially, at the end, it's Norman Ray on the other side with three small children. Uh, and the three small children are all fairly nervous about ziplining across the chasm because it's a very deep chasm. If they fall, they die. And so Ray decides... die. Yeah. Uh, so Ray decides he's going to carry uh, one of the small girls across. And so then says to the other two who shot the bottle rockets, like, come on, are you guys men or are you men? Get <laughs> yeah. across there. And they're like, yeah, we're men. And then they zipline across. So now it's just Emma left. And Isabel manages to get to them uh, to watch those three cross and just stare at Emma. And Emma's like, yeah, no, we're escaping now. Goodbye. And starts ziplining. And Isabella just kind of stops and watches it happen because we start to realize she's always kind of wanted to escape and she's just glad that some children have figured it out yeah. eventually. And then we get... This is where we actually get her flashback sequence and then uh, she lets her hair down, which for the entire series has been tied up. Except and for when, in the flashbacks, when she was a child. So right. She's now accepting her child self. Again. Yeah, and so we just kind of see, like, she's happy that they got away and get to try to live their life as they see fit. And uh, also coming to terms with the fact that now that this has happened, she's going to be killed, most likely. Probably. So yeah, she goes back to the firm uh, and sees Phil, and she's like, don't worry about it, Phil. They escaped. And Phil's like, yeah, poggers. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and then, uh, we, the season ends with, the uh, children who escaped running through the woods and seeing their first sun, uh, sunrise outside of the orphanage, uh, inside a demon-filled world that they just haven't fully explored yet. The first ending that doesn't fin fill you with dread. Yeah, because it's a season ending and they don't want you to have to wait a year with that feeling inside of you. <laughs> That's not how I would have done it. Yeah. Uh, I would have ended it with Phil getting a knife through his heart because he's my favorite character at this point. You gotta ruin those feelings as quickly as possible. Alright. Have Isabella uh, zipline across and explode halfway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also entirely possible. I mean, the best part about it is, like, to ensure that Isabella doesn't, the kids do cut the ziplines, even though they know her heart will explode if she tries to zipline <laughs> yeah. across. It's like, let's be doubly safe. Although. They may not have told the kids about that detail. Fair. But still. It is kind of funny to watch them cut this. It's like, can't follow us now. It's like, she couldn't follow you before, but whatever. 
Uh, so yeah, that is the end of the first season of The Promised Neverland. I'm just imagining the rules that are in that, like, facility for that place. It's like, no throwing rocks. No mixing ingredients. No playing tag. <laughs> You're all to do tests in the morning and then sit quietly in your rooms in the evening. That is your day. Uh, yeah, so... Three yeah. kids are not allowed to have the top marks. <laughs> We're changing the system up. If you get top marks, you're taken off immediately. If you get low marks, you get to continue being dumb for a little while. We're also turning dumb kids into moms for a while to balance out the gene pool again. <laughs> <laughs> the smart kids are food. The dumb kids are moms. Yeah. You gotta rebalance this out a little bit. <sighs> so yeah. That's where the season ends. So... We get to see more of Norman in the form of Ray's interpretations of the fact that Norman's sharing his plan with him. We also definitely get to see more Norman in season two when Norman is shown to be alive. Yep. And, like, and I fear, due to the system, kind of in, forced into a kind of antagonistic role. Uh, I mean, well, from what you were telling me, I uh, the twist I thought was going to be is the final big like betrayal was going to be was Norman... And he was actually, like, overshooting both of the mothers that were at play with each other and found that, like, he lived because he was informing to someone higher up or something like that. Um, now, see, that might what be the I'm... case in the next season. Yeah. Because he seemed too grounded for everything. That's mm-hmm. like, this character seems interesting, but I feel like he also kind of feels like he knows a bit more. What I feel like Norman's role coming in season two is going to be, I don't know how in detail they're going to get with this role, but the thing is, they talk about how the moms give birth to a child to, like, repopulate all the orphanages. There's kind of two ingredients you need to make a baby. And one is a mom and one is something that the male provides. I feel like Norma was perhaps drafted for the male part of that process. Maybe. Maybe. But also, uh, we do learn at one point in the series that there is still a society out there, apparently. Well... From Crone, I think we learned this, that apparently outside the facility, humans and demons coexist. I I don't know that it was fully that humans and demons coexist. Well, there were... are humans that live in the demon world. Yes. Uh, so if you can get out and insert yourselves with them, then perhaps you can manage to survive. Aside from the giant numbers on your faces. Or yeah. Necks or whatever. Yeah, next. Um, yeah, there's that and there's also... It is very much so a demon world, so perhaps, uh, we don't know for sure if demons invaded Earth and just kind of took over, or if this takes place in Hell and some humans exist inside Hell, or if this is something else. This is your 45 after the demon apocalypse. Demons took over, it's now your 45. The logical thing then would be, I guess what, demon rebellion? Yeah, that's probably what season two logically is going to be about. It's going to be about the kids who escaped... Rebelling against the demon civilization. Trying to form some sort of resistance. Yeah. And then season three is going to be them going back for Phil. Yeah. Maybe the other kids mostly Phil. <laughs> I was just waiting for the joke of like them escaping because he said there was other facilities probably in the hexagon. And like kids from another one just show up with the same. I was like, what, you're escaping too? <laughs> or maybe Phil can't, comes out on his own with the kids. He's like, yeah, you took too long. <laughs> well, he uh, recalls all the commotion and they look for I just walked out the front door. Yeah. Uh, they were talking, so when Ray was, like, first going over their plan, part of his plan was to get Dawn to throw fucking Molotov cocktails into the adjacent farms to, like, start fires there to increase the, like, concern of, like, what's going on in the confusion. He's like, man, if you manage to light the other orphanages on fire with, like, a massive, that's fine, too. And it's just like, 
Man, you're just talking about burning other kids alive to help with your escape. Alright. I've been on this. It's like, I thought he meant just throw Molotovs into the forest, not the other facilities. Well, to be fair, I don't care how like smart or like long you practice your throw. I don't yeah, think they're no, throwing from the wall into the all. other facility <laughs> yeah, to hit the building. That is not feasible. That's, yeah. why, that's why I thought just light forest on fire to cause more confusion. No, he's. I think he specifically wanted to start fires in multiple orphanages so that they couldn't track back which orphanage was the one people were escaping mm-hmm. from and which ones were just distractions. Uh, not that it matters, because there's only one point of contact they have to defend, and that's the fucking bridge. Man, this show is just so... Like, as I was telling you, I had another friend beside Matt who I convinced to watch this series. Uh, and after two episodes, they messaged me, uh, and they uh, brought up the fact that they like it, but they also find it quite upsetting. Uh, and Because up until that point, I had just told them, it's a show about kids who grow up in an orphanage and realize it's not a traditional orphanage. But it's also a very enjoyable show. Like X-Men. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so they responded. They just watched the first two episodes. They really like it, but they're also very upset. Uh, and my response to that was, yeah, that's not going to change. It <laughs> might actually just get worse as the show goes it's, on. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a good show with question marks. It's it, a it, show that's really well written. It's a good show. It's not a fun show. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I don't have anything else to share about this show. I mostly just wanted to share it with you guys in case you hadn't watched it, because I watched it and went through some trauma and wanted yep. someone else to go through yep. it with me. <laughs> Understandable. And now that I've watched this, I need to watch something that'll, uh, that's a little more heartwarming. That's fair. Very fair. Alright, so, uh, do you guys have recommendations? That's a thing we do, right? Recommendations? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Or questions or things. Oh yeah. Let's let's do question then recommendation. Uh, question the first is Norman dead? What What are your thoughts? Get in the comment section. Tell us is Norman dead? He's dead to me. Yeah, he's definitely coming back as a yeah. villain, and Matt's going to wish he was dead. Yeah. No. No. He's alive. Definitely um, alive. I think he's only a villain if you're rooting for the children. True. The children. This is essentially the story of a bunch of farm animals burning down the farm and then escaping the farm. In which case, you get kind of upset at the farm animals for burning down the farm. I also do want to kind of say it has. Listen, to be clarified, this is also a storyline where the farm animals burn down the farm that's overrun by I mean, being watched by a farm animal that's reporting to the farmer. <laughs> yes. That's... I do also want to say that. A single farmer runs five farms by getting other farm animals to run the farm for him. The show has strong feelings of like a strong metaphor to just common society. Like you spend the first years of your life growing up as a kid in just bliss, it's just fun, having fun, growing, learning new things, being with friends and family. But then when you get into society, you'll learn the cold, hard truth of the world and all that joyous, wonderful, pink-tinted skies. All that just comes crashing down. You're like faced with the cold, hard truth. Matt, this is making me sadder than the entire series did. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to say that everyone was demons and watch out for roses that are white. Alright, uh, recommendations. What you got, Matt? Um, I'm going to recommend a game that uh, I recently got back into. It's a really old game. came out, well, I say really old, but uh, it came out in 2010, so 11 years old now. Vindictus. It's a dungeon-crawling hack-and-slash game. Third-person... Really robust physics system, system 
for its age. Sure, the engine is aging, and you can tell by how, no matter what system you run it on, it'll stutter when it loads a new area. But still, regardless, really fun, solid combat, amazing physics, just a blast to play. So, I, I've never seen what you were doing your topic on, but I kind of got figured out, got the synopsis down, so I didn't spoil it, so I didn't know what was going on. But it did give me an idea for a suggestion for a story I read a while back that was pretty good. It's called Hozuki Island. Kind of a similar premise, it's a bunch of kids on this island, it's kind of like an orphanage type deal, and then they start getting suggestions that something's not quite as it is, and they're trying to escape. Fair. Hmm. I don't want to give out anything else because, uh, much like I think this one is, it's a lot better when you go in not knowing anything and seeing how everything unfolds. Uh, it's four issues of a comic that uh, it was never made to an anime or anything, so it's just the four issues. Uh, speaking of what Keith just said, uh, if you're watching this podcast, don't watch this podcast, watch the series, then watch the podcast, because it is absolutely better to watch this series without... Which is a good thing to tell them after they've listened to the episode. Yeah, uh, <laughs> honestly, at this point, you should know to watch the shit we're talking about before listening to the podcast. We just go into way too much detail ruin any of the fun surprises you get from watching shit. Uh, I am going to recommend, uh, Dr. Stone. It's another anime. Uh, and it's also about children, uh, trying to solve problems, except this one is them trying to, uh, well, and high school students. High school students. They're a little bit older. Yeah. Uh, trying to solve problems of society, mostly through science and shit. Um, yeah, that would be my recommendation, uh, cause I'm clearly a fucking weeb. Uh, moving on, do we have any, uh, comments on any of our sh- stuff? So, we had one person try to guess the episode. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't get it right, so, Tachi Kamargo, it is not something Zelda. I can see why you thought so, though. Ah, uh, yeah, I can definitely see, based on what we put on the table, why you would think it's something Zelda. It's actually the Zelda tactic game we were yeah. talking about. Um, for corrections, someone personally contacted me to point out that during our board game episode, uh, we referred to one of the tools in the Bob Ross board game as a paint knife, when it is very clearly a palette knife, not a paint knife. Uh, that being said, you did not email it to what is my podcast about at gmail.com. So you don't get to get called out by name. I am just making the correction verbally now. <laughs> we misspoke. It is not a paint knife. It is a palette knife. All right. Uh, so I just want to thank all of you for listening to today's podcast. You can find us on all major podcasting platforms as well as YouTube. Uh, you can also reach out to us on Instagram where we post. As we've said, we've already posted an image of today's uh, table. We do that every time we record, so you can try and guess what we're talking about before I record it. We also make a post whenever the video actually goes live, just to, or not video, the podcast itself goes live, so you have a chance to catch it in case you're not actually subscribed to us on the podcasting services. Chase, what's wrong with you? Just subscribe to our podcast. Yeah, give it a like, or rate it at five, or rate tell it Peter at- to, you know, stop making so many mistakes that he has to get corrected on. Yeah. Stop telling, or tell Peter, stop bullying Matt relentlessly all the time, which is clearly something I do based on the few comments I've gotten about it. <laughs> well, luckily, uh, this is one episode where you didn't, actually. I, I'm going to wait to see what we're still recording, Matt. <laughs> I'm going to wait and see what the commenters have to say, because I might have bullied you, apparently. Uh, also, make sure you email us at whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com, uh, especially if you have a question or a potential topic for us to talk about which is very important because starting next episode we're starting fanuary y'all know what that is very important yep yeah so uh don't want to miss that yeah because uh, uh we're doing our first fan suggested episode well not our first fan suggested episode, but the first one of fanuary 
And it looks like, according to our request from Thomas Sheehan, our next episode is going to involve us going full week again. God damn it! (laughs) 